Hello and welcome to our latest Aeon Pensions podcast, focused on providing risk settlement insights to help you on your journey to settlement. I'm your host, Karen Gainsford, an associate partner in Aeon's risk settlement group, and I'm joined today by Michael Walker and Hugh Creasy. Michael is an associate partner in Aeon's resettlement group and has successfully led Hitachi to fully securing their scheme seven years ahead of target. And so he's a keen supporter of schemes planning their route to settlement. And Hugh is a professional trustee at Best Trustees. So Hugh's particular specialism is around building a framework for sound financial management of schemes and then managing the process through to a long run option. So very relevant for today's discussion. So welcome both. Hello. Hello, Karen. So today we're going to focus on the start of a scheme's journey towards settlement. So it's important to make sure that we set off in the right direction. So I guess, Michael, do you want to kick things off and maybe explain what the endgame targets are that are available to schemes nowadays? Yeah, Karen, happy to do that. So I would say most pension schemes in the UK will end up in one of four positions. They'll either end up bought out, they'll end up with a consolidator, running a self-sufficiency strategy, or unfortunately, they might have fallen into the PPF if they have an insolvent employer. Taking each of those in turn, what is buyout? Well, buyout is effectively transferring all of the risk across to an insurance company. It's the gold standard end position uh, where you've got a great level of security. A consolidation, that's something that you can carry out slightly earlier on. It's slightly cheaper um, and has slightly less security, but is a good option for some pension schemes. And then self-sufficiency, where effectively you're choosing to run on the, the pension scheme for a number of years. You're comfortable with the risks and comfortable with the covenant. Okay. And, and do you think those are all available to schemes of all sizes? So I'd say personally, self-sufficiency is probably more common amongst medium and larger pension schemes. I think a larger number of smaller schemes will end up in the buyout type scenario or potentially with a consolidator. Okay. And then Hugh, how does that actually tally with your your experience? So what what are you finding are the current end games for your schemes? Yeah, I mean, to, to begin with, I think, Michael, you're going to catch me out when you mentioned four, and I was wondering what the fourth was. But uh, yes, we're not generally planning on the insolvency, but uh, yes, you're right. Very much so. I mean, that, that is the way that I see it. I think buyout is, is something that we're all heading towards. Um, and there's a kind of a, a commonality. People talk about, are you aiming for buyout or self-sufficiency? I think you're generally aiming for somewhere which is close to buyout and is likely to drop you into place at the, at the right time. And that might look like self-sufficiency. Then probably financially, they're not that different in terms of target. So I think it's a very natural progression for you as, as a board of trustees. You might, you might badge it as self-sufficiency today, but you know that what you're thinking of is that in 10 years' time or 12 years' time, that's going to be a soft landing into um, a buyout price. Okay. And, and do you find that companies and trustees work together on these endgame discussions? You know, do they try and mutually acceptable objective? Oh, absolutely. I like to think that the days of companies and trustees being at loggerheads are, are well distant. And perhaps this is part of the reason. I think a good part of it might be just that we're all much more cooperative than we used to be. But it's, um, it is such a common shared goal. We've absolutely the same interest. The, the, the trustees and the company want this pension scheme to close off with full security for members full benefits paid, all of that good stuff. And the way to do it is to set up your, your sound financial plan and, and target a buyout at an appropriate point. So 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a conversation which starts between. I mean, I find typically it starts between me as chair of trustees and the finance director. We talk about the high level principles. What makes sense? What's the sort of timescale that's appropriate? What kind of approach the company wants to take to any final extra cash is required, and then we start to move down through the advisors. So it really does begin with a shared view. Presumably, we're in favour of that collaborative approach, Michael. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's crucial. And on the rare occasions where you have one or other party um, set an objective and not involve the other side, I, I, that just doesn't work. That's a recipe for, for challenge further down the line. It's much better to have these conversations up front, gain a shared view, or at least understand where each other is coming from in terms of those objectives, and then start to work towards that. Okay, and then I know we carried out some research recently, Michael, so around endgame targets and timescales of getting there. Have you got some headlines from that that you can share? Yeah, happily. So we surveyed 120 pension schemes, full range of sizes, small to large. And what we found was 34% of those pension schemes said they were currently targeting buyout. And that's a number that we've seen increase over years and I think will continue to increase. Often when a pension scheme hits self-sufficiency, they then move potentially to deciding, OK, now we've got here, we might actually want to start targeting buyout. We also looked at funding levels and we found that over half of pension schemes were already 90% or more funded against their own long-term objective and 73% of them expected to be fully funded in less than 10 years. So the whole pattern is improving funding levels and potentially strengthening of targets as you go through that. For pension schemes that then ultimately move towards buyout, what I think that means is, is we're going to see an increasing trend of pension schemes going across to the insurance market or consolidators. And Pension schemes need to be prepared for those transactions, make sure they've done all the cleansing, done all the homework. So when they ultimately reach that point, they're in good shape. Any surprises in that, Hugh? Is that what you expected? Absolutely. It stacks up. Yeah, it, it completely. I, th- I think the the only other piece that, that I put into that is around the age profile. And when I look across the, the portfolio of, of cases where I act, you do see a very common theme and I don't think it's altogether surprising because if you um, if you look at the the sort of timing for pension schemes closing to new members at the time it didn't seem very much you know, the scheme closes in 2002 very typical and what's happened overnight absolutely nothing but of course what it does do is it gradually you start to see that age profile climb and the the, the sweet spot for approaching buyout, as I see it, is the point when most, not necessarily all, but most members have reached retirement. So think about the age profile back in the early 2000s. People with meaningful pension pots would have been in their 30s, their mid 30s to 40, just did a simple arithmetic. And those people are now into their late 50s, mid to late 50s. So the age profile is working. The funding speed is exactly as, as Michael describes yeah, there have been challenges for many sponsors, but typically you're looking at a point that contributions can close off within the next 10 years. So if you say that those contributions are going to close off in that kind of time scale, the age profile is going to hit retirement age of, of typical early mid-60s in about the same sort of time. We're, we're saying probably about 2030, 2032, those insurance companies are going to be mighty busy. If you think they're busy now, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the place they need to recruit for. So, Mike, what could potentially cause a scheme to get there even quicker? Or I guess on the on the flip side, you know, what might push that timescale back? 
So I guess investment returns are a huge driver. If you de-risk earlier more into matching assets, that's potentially going to slow your journey. I certainly see some pension schemes where they've decided actually the covenant is really strong. I'm going to keep risk on until the last minute and effectively race to the exit knowing that that door is volatile. But I, I, th I think that kind of can accelerate or slow things down. Member options exercises also potentially change the dynamic. So running a transfer value exercise and potentially having a number of the deferred members who are more expensive to insure choosing to transfer out and seek other vehicles for their pension provision going forwards that can accelerate the journey or carrying out a pension increase exchange likewise can can shape the liabilities into something that's more attractive from an insurer's perspective and, and accelerate the journey. So it sounds like it's going to be quite important to be able to take those opportunities when they rise then. So Hugh do you think schemes do have clear criteria sort of to govern when they actually go ahead and reduce risk, whether that's a bulk annuity, longevity swap or you know, move into a consolidator? I think they're, they're getting there. I mean, I, I think if you wheel back five years, you'll say that funding deficits were relatively large for quite a number. And priority number one was getting that under control. Where we're going to move to next is is kind of a nice to have for a couple of years time. But that's where we are now. It would have been frustrating if you look back at markets back in March 2020, then everybody took a big step back. But fortunately, the markets have recovered. And, and so we're back into this position where we can start thinking beyond are we putting ourselves in a decent place now into and where are we moving to, which is exactly what trustees should be doing throughout is, is that you're always looking forward. So what I see is a, a gradual or graduation of positions you have some who are really quite close to being able to buy out and that might be because of the age profile it might be because some key individuals have taken transfers i've seen that happen and suddenly you jump forward three years or it, it may be that the the sponsor has the view that they can put in some cash a meaningful amount of cash and close off this whole problem have defined benefit scheme will then be history and for those ones yeah it's it's very much up front and centre is what are we going to do in the various stages? So member options exercises, let's get ourselves to focus on that properly. Think of it in the context of where we're going, not as some sort of enhanced transfer value exercise because it seems like a good thing, but part of the coordinated plan towards eventual buyout. And then that debate about risk on or risk off. Absolutely. It's, it's, I have one finance director I remember speaking to not so long ago who was fairly new to the process, uh, hadn't been involved from the start, when I explained that I thought we were moving very rapidly towards full buyout coverage, that we might only be a few hundred thousand pounds off. It wasn't a big scheme, but only a few hundred thousand pounds off. His reaction was, oh, I was rather expecting we weren't going to put any cash in. Ah, well, we, we need to get to a soft landing for that. And unfortunately, we were well covered. It, the market was pretty good. Um, couple that up 12 months later, I'm talking to a finance director who's saying, yeah, as soon as we're within so many million of the end position, that's going to be good enough for me. And I just want to drop it in there. Well, that's going to drive very different strategies. So having that thought process around, are we going to go full steam at this growth assets, close eye, once our, our assets climb and the liability cost drops at a good point, then bang, in goes the cash and job's done. Or do you want a very soft and gentle landing, sort of landing of a water plane, if you imagine, that's just coming in ever so gently? Very, very different approaches. And that's the sort of conversation you have at the start. That's when I'm going back to um, 
conversations with the chair of trustees and, and finance director saying key ground rules what is it we what's the sort of time scale we're thinking about and how are you going to manage that last couple of years is it what do you see as a finance director in terms of cash contributions and the nervousness around trapped surplus so i guess that last couple of years there's going to be a number of quite big decisions to make do you see companies and trustees having clear decision making structures in place so they can make those i guess go no go decisions at the different stages of the journey I pause for effect there. No, genuinely. I think from a trustee side, and I would say this, wouldn't I? I think it's pretty clear. And I think in those last couple of years, you need to have a chair who is um, really going to be able to get pretty hands on in terms of working with the various teams. There are a lot of strands here. There are a lot of spinning wheels. And they've got to be comfortable talking to the administrator, the lawyer, the investment consultant, the actuary, potentially getting involved with some of the insurance companies, because there is actually a sales job in here, a sale of your own scheme for the insurer. Are they going to be interested in, tra- in transacting with you? Are you reliable in terms of actually completing the trade? So from, from a trustee perspective, you can do that. And I think people do. You don't have to be a professional trustee. Don't, don't get me wrong. It, it's just you need to be able to get your hands dirty on this. The corporate side... I think it's an important point and and one to, to pause and think on because even if you're dealing with a finance director and feel that this is the person who has the who can pull the levers, do they have the authority to make decisions or are you going to find that at the last moment when the rates are live, you're on a limited period for the quotation, all good to go, we need board approval. And that might involve convincing some other people. It might convincing some people from overseas. So that whole side of it, I think, in the, mo- in the nicest, most delicate way, is something that the trustees need to build with their principal contacts on the corporate side and make sure there aren't any an unwelcome surprise. I think I'd agree with that. Key for me when you're consulting with the company and those approvals is things like the accounting impact. So making sure that the company understands what's going to go through their books, how they're going to message that to interested parties such as shareholders if it's a hit on OCI or profit and loss and just kind of building that in well before you go to market as you're saying the last thing you want is effectively you're close to signing on the dotted line and then you find there's a roadblock to that and I think by coordinating all of the strands over your journey to settlement working out what needs to happen and when you can make sure this is all planned for in advance and it runs very smoothly totally agree with what you're saying Hugh in terms of the there being a lot of work on the trustee side in terms of selling the pension scheme to uh, an insurer making sure your data is clean your benefits are clean and that's that's something that we've been working uh, on with our journey to settlement to kind of pull together those strands and just kind of say here are the things that you need to work at you've got lots of different counterparties and stakeholders involved in that and let's just do some planning probably five possibly even longer years out given the complexity of gmp equalization member options and preparing the information for insurers it's a it's a a lengthy exercise if you want to avoid a big crunch at the last minute Uh, and i would certainly suggest avoiding that last minute crunch that can be quite painful if you do leave everything to the last second so thanks both. I mean, a lot of good points made today. So one final question. I'm going to put you both on the spot. So if you could pass on one top tip to our listeners today of things they should definitely consider when setting off on their journey to settlement, what would it be? And if I think if I come to you first, Michael. Planning, I think, would be my answer. Put in place a detailed plan at the beginning of all the steps that you want to go through and the order in which you want to do them. So you've got the schedule. 
interest you? I think mine is it's kind of similar, but I like to think it's slightly different. I think it's about the team. You have to decide at the beginning who's on this team. They've got to know what they're doing. They might not be the same team that you've had in the past. At all, all different levels. Challenge everybody. Have you got the right trustee in place? Have you got the right contacts on the business side? Perhaps it's at a different level for those key decisions. And as far as the advisor side is concerned, you don't have to remove your existing team. There is a specialism here. And I've had past history of, um, for example, an actuary who is extremely good at what they do, but they don't do this sort of thing. So bring in an, a firm who, who can pick up that piece. It can be seamless, trust me. If you, if you manage to get the right team in place, and I think there are soft skills in there as well as hard skills, but, but get them right at the outset, then I would do the planning, and then the rest is easy. Fantastic. If I attempt to summarise, so I think it's important you start your journey to settlement by going in the right direction. So think about your end target. Where are you trying to get to? It sounds like collaboration between trustees and employers can be helpful, if possible, and agree that end goal. Then do the analysis. So when do you expect to get there? What risk could knock you off course? Or what could lead you to get there even quicker? If you expect your end target to be in maybe seven years of time, then in practice, it could possibly mean that you're somewhere between four and ten years away from getting there. So use that as a base of your planning. I think we'll leave it there for today. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Been a pleasure. So you've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast on providing risk settlement insights to help you on your journey to settlement with me, Karen Gainsford, and my guests, Michael Walker and Hugh Creasy of Best Trustees. If you need any further information on Aon Retirement Solutions or risk settlement in particular, you can contact us by visiting our website or email us at talktous at aon.com.